Hello and welcome to this uh, episode of the Writing Talk podcast, the first one for some time. And it's something I hope to get going again. It is the 22nd of June 2023 as the time of recording this. I'm doing it in video as well, which, uh, you know, may prove to be a terrible mistake. But anyway, uh, we're doing it, seeing how that goes. Uh, I just wanted to talk today a bit about uh, conferences, writing conferences or writers conferences might be a more accurate way of describing it because I've just come back from self-publishing show live 2023, a really superb uh, conference put together by uh, the team at self-publishing formula. So Mark Dawson, James Blatch and, uh, and their whole crew, of course, it must be a huge operation to put together. Uh, it's a very, very slick and a, a really good sized uh, conference full of uh, masses of content. So if you've ever been to one of these things, if you've been to a 20 books event or one of the others that uh, are going around, one of the major ones, there are lots I haven't been to, but I've, I've been to all the um, self-publishing shows uh, since the first one. And I've been to 20 books London back in the day, which was uh, my first one and quite an experience. And I have the lanyards to prove it. Um but uh, but they're very interesting things and they are full of ideas and inspirational uh, stories from all kinds of writers at all kinds of stages in their careers, people doing all kinds of wonderful things. And I think most people would agree that one of the most valuable things about them is the networking that you do in between, the friends you make, the people you meet, the contacts you can make. You know, it's not kind of so much about well, it might be to you, but I don't think the way to get value out of it is to think of, oh, you know, I might, might make business type contacts and see what I can get out of them. But just really just to to show your face and to um, and to see what you can offer to other people as well and, and just um, show your appreciation to people. Um, so it's, you know, it's always good to, to give before you try and uh, get anything in return, I think. So uh, just to be able to go up and talk to people, maybe offer help to people uh, or a kind word or whatever. It, it's that to me is what it's all about. And um, I thought I'd have a, a quick recording and, and get these things going again because it's great being at these things. It's quite strange coming back afterwards and people talk about post-conference blues and things. And it, it is quite um, quite an intense time when you're there because you're always busy you're always on you're rushing about I mean people do do go to one side and take time to decompress but if you want to be you could be um, very busy the whole time having a chat having a laugh it's great just having a laugh with your uh, and a chat with, with with your fellow writers really whether they are um, even talking about uh, about writing or you know the, you're not all sitting around uh, looking scholarly and debating the five-act structure all the time, though that is a wonderful thing to do. Uh, sometimes you're talking about things that happened to you when you were at school or, you know, the, the price of beer in London or whatever it is that's, um, that's, that's giving you a bit of something to talk about. It's all connections and it's all uh, sort of grist to the mill because um, we need that as writers. We spend a lot of time on our own. We spend a lot of time in a very solitary world doing quite a solitary type job. And we need to remember that we're not on our own, that we are part of a community, albeit a very a very uh, spread out one around the world. Um, we're certainly a disparate crowd and we, we are an international, we're a global community. And that's something to be enjoyed and to be celebrated and uh, to see what you can contribute to that in any small way. I think anything you can do to uh, to make it happen and to make it a vibrant and fun and inclusive and value-driven place to be is wonderful uh, because if we all do our little bit, then that all helps to build the community, to make it strong, to make it vibrant, to keep it changing, to keep it on the cutting edge of things because we are. I, I really do feel that. I really believe that. And I, it's not just a question of belief. Belief is wonderful and it's an important thing to have, but I see evidence of it everywhere. I see people doing new things um, new websites, new services, new business models, new attitudes, new ways of thinking, new developments. It it just keeps going. So I've, I've been I've been sort of tapping away at this business for quite a while now, and I tried to think about when I first started in my own small way, just writing part time when the the kids were small, and probably like many of you, you know, you had other commitments, and you're just trying to grab those. Those times when you think, great, I've got half an hour or an hour, then, you know, you get get something out. And with me, it was paper and pen um, because uh, I'm not sure if I even had a laptop back then, but it was it was a question of it had to be that quick, 
grabbed the, the, the pen and the paper. That was all I needed. I could do it anywhere. I could sit in the garden if necessary, and I'd scribble away uh, as if my life depended on it, you know, getting those words down, because that's what we've got to do. Um, so bearing all that in mind, I thought we'd have a bit of a chat about what comes afterwards and about what we do, because when you come away, you can feel a bit overwhelmed. You can feel, as I did, as I was on the train last night, I was, was kind of buzzing. My mind was whirling with ideas and I kind of ended up just falling asleep for a minute. I think that awful thing when you kind of crash out sitting up and you go, oh, oh I've been asleep in a public place. Oh dear, I'm embarrassing. Um, but um, I think we need a bit of time to take a step back because it's a bit like if you uh, inherit some money or something, you have a big life-changing event and people say to you, it's often commonly given advice, uh, they say, don't make any sudden decisions for a little while. Just, just you know, hold off for a bit, have a think. And I think that's quite a good thing to do because if you come out of it with a huge uh, to-do list or you have this burning desire to do something, you might want to jump in with both feet and heaven knows I've been there. I'm very much um, somebody who who can go like a bullet to gate at times. And I've been known to go and set things up and then realise later on that I haven't got the, the bandwidth or there's to, to follow it through, for instance. Or you can suddenly decide in a sudden change of direction. You might feel really inspired to do something. But the better decisions that I've made in my author career have been the ones that didn't take days, but they probably took weeks. So shifting, for me, shifting from science fiction and other stuff into writing the mysteries. So I wrote the Devonshire Mysteries, and that is where I've been kind of building a much more sustainable career in that area. And for you, it might be something else. It might be something else that you want to change, you want to take a step up in your author career, something that's going to be a long-term project. I would advise you just to uh, just to take a little bit of time with it and really think it through. Let it sit with you for a bit, sleep on it for some time. Not necessarily just ask somebody else because other opinions are very easily given. Uh, you might say, well, do you think I should do this? And they say, yeah, go for it. What, what, what's to lose? You know, um, but that that might be great. It might be what you want to hear at that time. But do just take your time. So. I would say, first things first, thinking about uh, what the wonderful Mark Recklau said in his fantastic presentation, a practice I want to take forward is to think of uh, things to be grateful for each day. And I must admit, you see these things all, all over the place. So you see them on you know Instagram and, and the social media and things, people doing their little gratitude journals. And um, you kind of think, oh, yeah, this is all very nice and everything, but uh, you know it's not for me. Um, but Mark Recklau has no done his research and he knows his stuff and he showed us that uh, this actually actually externalising uh, feelings of specific gratefulness, gratitude for specific things will make you feel happier and be good for your well-being and that turns you into a stronger person, a stronger writer, more productive, better person to be around, I suspect. So yeah, maybe just first off, take a little time, get a piece of paper or a notepad or something grab a pen or a pencil and jot down not so much uh, what you're going to take away from the conference, but what you felt grateful for. Was there some little thing that just made you feel grateful? And it could be something as simple as, you know, you found a, a really nice place to sit by the Thames and, and drink a cappuccino, or it might be a, a little moment you had where you're just taking it all in and enjoying the ambiance of being there. Or perhaps it was a new friend or an old friend or, or an acquaintance that you renewed or a new person you met. Really just take the time to to just think, yeah, I'm really grateful that happened. I'm really grateful for that moment. I mean, I had a a, a strange thing to, to people who've known me for a long time. I've not really been a person who's been into fitness and, and so on. And sport was never a great thing for me. But I've recently taken up running because I sort of got into this... Uh, realization that you need to uh, use it or lose it and it's very important to look after yourself as as you uh, get older as well I mean I'm in my 50s but you know I I want to get fitter and stronger as I grow older not fall apart which I think was what was happening to me doing a sedentary uh, uh, task like this day in and day out 
And I thought, no, there's no reason why I can't get fitter and stronger as I get older. It doesn't have to be that I'm going to, you know, uh, have bits drop off me as I go along. <laughs> I am, I'm going to turn that around. And so I took up running and I really got into it. And it was a slow process. It was very hard for me at first. The first run I did, it was a park run. And I, my brother-in-law told me I set off like a gazelle. And that lasted a matter of moments, I think, before I uh, turned into the limping around in pain. I mean, I got to the end somehow, eventually. I couldn't, after about a week later, I still wasn't probably walking normally. I don't think my muscles were so sore and so stiff. And seeing me uh, come down the stairs must have been quite a, quite a, a fun experience, if you want to watch a man uh, limping and saying, ouch, at each step. Um But I stuck, stuck with it. So that was before the pandemic. And then there was a bit of a gap where it it was harder to do things like that. And now I'm into it and I've joined a sort of friendly community running group and I go several times a week and I've run a 10k race, an event, which I didn't do too badly in. And now, you know, I, I don't get sore and stiff, but um, I, I am enjoying it and I want to get better and stronger at that as well. And um, I got up at six o'clock on the morning of the second day of the conference and I went down to the South Bank, the Thames, and went for a run. And I didn't have to, but uh, the sun was up. There was a breeze coming off the Thames. There was hardly anybody else there apart from other runners. And uh, I come from a small, I live in a small place in Devon. I come from Yorkshire, but I live in Devon, uh, which is quite a friendly place. And um, usually if you're running, you say hello to people, <laughs> you meet running. But I thought that probably wasn't a thing in London because they were all looking very determined and um, probably would think how strange if I was saying good morning to every. And there were too many of them anyway. But um but it was still great. It was it was a moment I'll remember for a long time. It was just me and jogging along the Thames and enjoying the breeze and sunshine and watching the boats and looking at the London Eye and looking across the Houses of Parliament, just thinking a uh, Westminster Palace, I should say, shouldn't I? And uh, I thought, this is great. And it did me the world of good. But there were lots of other things I was grateful for, like, like uh, catching up with old friends and uh, uh, meeting new people and you know, just just grateful those moments of having a laugh uh, with friends. So maybe stop and think about that before you start forging forward and thinking, what can I get out of this? What are my takeaways? That's, that's kind of a phrase, a catchphrase that people use in these kind of things, isn't it? What are the takeaways? Well, I think you're not kind of, you didn't go to the store or the shop and buy two pounds of carrots, you know. you. It's not necessarily about what you've got in your hot little hands that you're taking away with you. Um, I think it is an opportunity to think about all the different experiences that you've just had and say, what have I already got? What do I already have? And by focusing on that, you know, what can you already do? What skills do you already have? What knowledge do you already have? Then you can build from that. So it's not so much a, a taking thing. It's more of a, a constructive thing. So where are you on the the stage of of building something are you are you looking at the blueprints or have you got the foundations down already are you you know putting up the walls are you are you ready to put the roof on you know what is your what have you got and what are the next logical steps for you that you can handle so i think that would be worth thinking about so what did you learn that will help you or that could help you you know build the walls or put the roof on what skills did you pick up what nuggets of advice or inspiration? Uh, because I think it's good to take things and process them and turn them into your own uh, ideas rather than saying, OK, this person did that, so I'm going to do that. I, I would strip it back a little bit and think, OK, let's let's see what that person did. And that's another thing that Mark Recklow said. Look at the successful people. Look at the people who are way above you. Look at the people who are just slightly above you in the, in their progress and uh, but don't just necessarily copy it but strip it back a little bit and say what was the important thing was it the was it the tool that they used or was it the process that they employed and i would venture to suggest that it is almost always a process that is the underlying important thing I'll, I'll come back to that a little bit. I do have some little notes I scribbled here with a pen and paper, but um, I'd say grab a bit of paper, a big sheet of paper if you've got one, and uh, some pens and pencils and things, different colours if you fancy, 
and uh, have a little brainstorm session and just, you know, no, there are no silly ideas, just no silly questions. Blast it all down. Draw lines and arrows to link them up. You could call it a concept map if you'd like to do that kind of form of thing. You can make lists. Just put anything down and then set it to one side for a little bit. You know, go away, have a cup of tea or a other hot beverage or, you know, have a walk in the sunshine or something and come back and have a look at it later when it's had a little bit of time to percolate and your your brain has had a bit of time to sift uh, the ideas that you're starting to sort of coalesce in front of you. And uh, do give yourself some downtime to do that because uh, if uh, if you spend too much time thinking about social media or advertising or you're looking at your phone or you're looking at a tablet or a laptop all the time, you don't give your brain chance to do its little background processing. Because your brain's always busy, whether you're conscious of it or not. It doesn't always tell you what it's doing until later, which is why I think that uh, you're having the shower and you suddenly solve that plot problem you've had for the last couple of days. So your brain's been busy with it and it just comes to you there because you're you gave it a bit of time and you give it a bit of quiet space just to uh, just for that thought to pop up like a little mushroom in the night. You know, it's um, it's not going to pop up if you keep trampling over the ground all the time. You know, it needs a bit of uh, it needs time. It needs to be warm and, and you know, just the right conditions to, to grow. So give your brain a break and, um, you know, take a walk, take a walk in nature or something. Go to the park, sit in the sunshine, go to a coffee shop, anything just, you know, to get yourself away from your list for a bit and, and your, your scribble down ideas and come back to them and then look over them with a fresh eye and think long term and think about what might be sustainable for you. Because I want you to have an author career that isn't measured in months or even years. I want you to have an author career that is measured in decades. I think you deserve it. Go on, go for it. You, Why not? Why not think this is what I want to have when I'm 80. Why not? What, who's, what, who's going to stop you? Just go for it. <laughs> I think you can do it. I think you can hold on to that. I think you can march toward it um, with with determined strides, I think. So have a look at, look at the ideas you've jotted down and start to think realistically, is it going to be sustainable in terms of the amount of time, in terms of... Uh, how it would fit in to being a piece of the puzzle in your author career. And also, again, coming back to that sort of idea of mental health and well-being, can you handle it realistically, day in, day out, whatever it is you've set up? So if if you really, you know, hate doing videos and you, you shudder at the thought of it, then don't feel like you've got to rush into doing TikTok or something just because you've seen somebody doing really well with it. Um, and again, I'll, I'll, I'll come back to this in a minute, this idea of process. I think it underlies everything. It, it's, it's about stripping back to the processes and they're going to be your processes and they are going to be almost unique to you. I mean, we'll probably have similarities in some ways, but there'll be your process. You, you need to own those processes yourself. So what can you keep going over those years and decades in a way that will be productive, it will be efficient, it will be time efficient, it will make you feel good, it will be positive for you, it will be encouraging for you, it will be something that you can build on. And whatever it is, if you fancy it and you've not done it before, doesn't mean to say you can't be great at it. You might think, well, I really, really want to do video. I'm just not sure where to start. Well, I guess you, you, get a camera and you <laughs> you get your phone or something and you just make one and put it out there and then you do another one and you do another one. And we had a brilliant talk by Craig Martell talking about um, the perfection paradox and how, yeah, you've just got to get things as good as you can and then put them out there and then see what happens. And that's not just about your first book. Um, yeah, it applies to your first book, but it applies to all of them. Because the perfection paradox can strike you with your 21st book. If you can imagine that, um, you might think, well, I've, I've just got a huge readership invested really heavily in the first 20. What if the 21st doesn't measure up? You know, people talk about the difficult second album for musicians. And um, yeah, the, the pressure can be there. 
there's a, a TED talk somewhere by the, um, the, her name has escaped me, somebody Gilbert, I think, who wrote the Eat, Pray, Love thing. And she did a talk about uh, how that pressure of having a successful book was difficult for her in doing a follow-up. Um, so it affects all kinds of people in all kinds of ways. But, you know, ask a musician, what's the great thing to do that will make you a, a better musician if you want to play a guitar or something? And they'll probably say, well, the real secret is to go out and do some busking or go and, you know, do a little concert at your local pub and then you soon find out um, how you're doing and what people like and what you can do better and, you know, build up from there. Um, and just as musicians go gigging to build their build up their chops, you know, we, we put books out, we put content out. I don't really like that word, um, but we create new materials of one kind or another. We put stuff into the world that wasn't there before. I really strongly believe that if you write some words and you put words into the world that weren't there before in that particular combination, then you're a writer and uh, you are doing your job. And you just got to keep doing that. You just keep putting stuff out there that wasn't there before. So think about that in terms of uh, how it all fits together. When you're looking at your ideas, try and see things that, uh, that align. There's a term alignment, which I think is quite a useful one to keep in mind. So, for instance, if your audience probably aren't the kind of people who look on TikTok, then you might be wasting your time producing TikTok content for them, I would suggest, and, and vice versa. If you think that's where they all are, then that's where you've got to go to find them and to say hello to them. So try and get things that match up and try and get things that fit and that you can do easily. So I like to share photos. I've always enjoyed, uh, well, for a long time, I've enjoyed taking photos We've all got really good cameras on our phones these days. I always have my phone with me. I also have to walk the dog every day. So it's very easy for me to take some snaps of the beautiful Devonshire countryside where I am, because that's something that's kind of baked into my everyday routine. My stories are set in Devonshire and the Devonshire, in Devon, I should call its proper name, Devon, in the real uh, Devonshire countryside. So it all aligns. So for me, those photos fit. I can use them in my newsletter. I can use them on my website, on Facebook, on Instagram. I can tweet them. So that quick act of taking my phone with me on a dog walk I was doing anyway. How long does it take to take a picture? Click. I try and frame it nicely and compose it and expose it. And I, I, did, I do a few seconds on it. And then it, it does a lot of work for me. And in my newsletter, the one feedback I always get from people is something like, say, oh, what a beautiful place. You're so lucky to live there. I love your photos. Thank you for the photos. You know, I have so many comments about the photos. So for me, that all aligns. I could do something much more complicated. I could be making videos, but I'm not sure that it would get me any more. It would take me a lot more effort, and I think I'd get a lot less return. So for me, that has become part of what I do, and it, and it aligns nicely. You know, and people say, oh, I, I like your the photos on the website or on the Instagram, wherever they find them, they say they like them. So think about that. Think about how things can align when you're looking at your brainstorm. Are there some things that seem natural bedfellows, to use a slightly old-fashioned expression? Are there things that seem like they would fit together nicely? Um, because that will make your life a lot easier in terms of uh, sustaining your career and in terms of your, your well-being as well. So you're not feeling frazzled like you're on a, a on a treadmill or a, a, a you know you're running around the the wheel like a like a hamster in a <laughs> getting nowhere fast um i think we do have to look after ourselves and we have to give ourselves uh time to live and be happy productive human beings or you will be burnt out and then how many months of writing progress will you lose how long will it be before you feel confident enough to push ahead with that next draft, that next novel, you know, if you if you uh, if you make yourself feel frazzled so that you just can't put two words together, you're not going to get anywhere. So do think about how you can uh, just make things keep things manageable. Also, I'd just say be wary about relying too much on any specific tool or other platform that you don't own. We all know we've got to own our website. We know we've got to own our newsletter. 
Well, you don't own TikTok, you don't own YouTube, you don't own Facebook, you don't own Instagram and you don't own Twitter and so on. So if you invest a lot of time into that, and that is what you are relying on, is that social media giant multi-million dollar corporation going to change? Because it feels like it at some point during your decades-long career. Yes, it is. It is going to change, just as Facebook changed the way that they show content unless you pay for advertising. It is going to change at some point. That is probably the, the only certain prediction I can make. I'm not saying it's going to go away, but it may change. It may change uh, something in the way this operates with others. I mean, you've got to just look at Twitter to see what's going on there. Nobody's quite sure at the moment um, since it was sold. But even before then, I think it had, it had changed a lot. Are other genres and subgenres and niches over time, are they going to go in cycles? Are they going to perhaps even disappear? Um, if it's a very sort of hot and trendy niche now, will it be in the future? Calytics reports are great for that. If you want to look at that, uh, thinking about market trends, I'm sure if you look for Calytics, you'll find it. Invest that money. If you're thinking, oh, I'm going to branch out into a new genre, then pay the $39 or whatever for a Calytics report and just do your due diligence. Do some homework. Have a think about it. Where Where do you fit in there? Also, I'm a great believer, people talking about right to market, and a phrase that's sometimes misunderstood, I feel. It was never really intended when Chris Fox said it to be a uh, a kind of saying you must fit into this market. He was more talking about the intersection between uh, what's going well at the moment and, and what you enjoy. I like the phrase, I kind of made up kind of phrase like writing to mojo. I mean, uh, what gets you out of bed in the morning? What really makes the words fly? Because if you find that and you just love it and you can't wait to get to it each day. I'm sure you'd have bad days, even if, you know, you, you absolutely love it. But on most days, you're just like raring to go with that, that genre and it, it's just your your world. Then uh, that's great. And you are going to work faster. You're going to be more productive. You're going to be happier. Your readers will know that you are totally into what you are writing. That will come across in your interactions with them. And it will, again, it will all be aligned. So... Think about that. Don't feel you've got to shoehorn yourself into something that doesn't work for you. If you don't love it, I'm not sure how easy it will be for you to to really keep going at that long term. Um, so don't force yourself into a, a, a box where you don't belong. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd have a think about that. Do you really love it? I mean, with me, with mysteries, I actually avoided it, writing it because I loved it so much. I really didn't think I could measure up. I thought, well, I, I would be, I would just be an upstart. I, I haven't got the nerve to do that. I admire it all too much. It's special to me. I've got shelves full of the, you know, crime and mystery books. Um, some of my great early reading experiences, because there wasn't a lot of YA books when I was younger, were, were Agatha Christie and so on, and G.K. Chesterton and, and things like that. I was reading at quite a young age. And so it's all very special to me. I'm a huge fan of Sherlock Holmes. I've read all the, the <laughs> all those stories several times. So I thought there's no way I could do it. Uh, and part of my process was to eventually come around to, well, yeah, it is what I love. And hopefully that, that comes across. So think about, is it me? Does it fit? Does it align? It can be good to push out of your comfort zone. If you're pushing towards something that you want even more, you see what I mean? You might be happy where you are, but you want something, you just you just really value that next step and it, it's something you really prize and taking a step towards it is great. It's a bit like me with my running thing. You know, it's, it's um, if I hadn't done that first one, then I wouldn't have uh, progressed. So I had to make that first disastrous run that absolutely exhausted me and made me look rather foolish and had people laugh, have members of my family laughing at me. But, you know, I got through that step and it was a necessary pain point. And because the goal, the underlying process was one of getting fitter, getting healthier. So stripping things back, what are what is the underlying principle? What can you can you whittle it down to? And if you believe in that, then the other steps will follow and you'll also be ready for new opportunities. 
So if your goals are a little bit too vague and it's all very well, you see somebody on stage and they've sold six million books and you think, well, that's what I want to do. I want to sell six million books. Well, that's not really an underlying principle. That sort of rather an abstract goal. And yeah, you might might be something you aspire to, but you need something a bit more, a bit more concrete. And you might want to think back to your, again, to your processes, uh, not the tools, but the processes. And I jot it down, excuse me while I turn the page. What are the core processes of really what we do? I think there aren't that many. I Saying writing seems a bit all-encompassing to me, so I like to talk about drafting. I mean, that is your number one process. Again, think about uh, Craig Martel was saying, you know, these, these books have got to be out there. If you haven't got them finished, you've got nothing to sell. You have nothing, you don't have a career because you don't have readers. You you need that to happen and you need it to happen a lot. That's what you're going to spend most of your time doing. So So learn what works for you. Core process number one, drafting. Getting it down somehow, externalising it. It's no good in your head. It's no good as a, a sort of a stack of notes somewhere. It needs to be building up into something um, something a bit more coherent than that, even if it's not very good, and it probably won't be, especially if you're in early stages of your career. You know, drafting, getting it out of your head and into the form of a story or a novel or a non-fiction piece, whatever it is that you're you're writing. I tend to think about fiction mainly, but of course, non-fiction, same kind of process, really. You have to start drafting. Later on, you've got your revising, what you've already done. You've got planning for new pieces, new scenes, new chapters. You've got research to do as well, perhaps, depending on, on what you're doing. And they kind of make up your writing process, your drafting, your revision, planning and research. And I kind of, you might think that's a weird order to do them because surely you plan first. Well, uh, I don't know, really. Again, you've got to think about that perfection paradox. If you spend ages researching and planning and planning and researching, you're probably not going to get very far with actual word count of words produced. Uh, I can't remember who said it. No, no plan survives first contact with the enemy. Um, so you might spend ages doing a wonderful plan. But once you start your draft and you suddenly realise what you've got and where you're going and you begin to know the characters and you think, oh, well, he's not going to do that for a start. She's not going to do that. She's far too feisty for that. She's not going to take that line down. And your plan goes out the window. So don't make it too perfect. Those those things can happen. They're background. They're secondary, very secondary tasks revision, uh, planning and research. What are other core processes? We've well, got to find readers. If you can't find them, they won't buy your book. And if they don't buy your book, you haven't got a, a career. Um, and you'll have to give up and do something else. So stripping it back, finding readers. How you do that? What are the processes involved in that? Something that works for you, something that you can make work for you, something that aligns with your work practices, your personality, the subject, your audience. See if you can find something that matches up. Is it video? Is it taking pictures? Is it audio? What is it? What do people, what do your, what do your readers want? What do they like? What do they love even better? Where are they? You know, you've got to find them. How old are they? Are they mainly male, mainly female? Is it impossible to know? Can you do some research? Well, a bit of, uh, well, a bit of a search through the various retailers, looking at the categories, seeing what's selling. Will that give you an idea? Could you read some of them? Could you be reading through a novel you love and just take the time to stop and think, well, that really works. I love that. What did they do there? What did they do that just made me turn the page? What did they do to make me fall in love with that character or to have me rooting for that character or to hate that character? You know what what what's making the the hairs on the back of your neck stand up when you when you turn that page and just think that wow this is amazing just you want to just keep going but just stop go back read the last few paragraphs and think oh I kind of see how they turn that round I really like that or you know it's not so much about the turns of phrase people use but just the it's often like structural it comes down to structure um, the way that the events were sequenced and the way the character development uh, was sequenced that that kind of fits together beautifully. 
And so it's logical and it follows and you're, you're, you're along for the journey at that point because it all makes sense and it's just going straight in. You're not even aware of turning the pages or swiping your e-reader or whatever. Um, but stop and, and, and have a think in your reading and, and see how it all works. Um, and think about what other readers are liking. If, if you like it, why do they like it? What, what is it that they are looking at in, in other, the reviews of another book? What do people say? Do they say, wow, I love the characters? Or do they say, this plot is amazing. The twists just blew me away. What is it that they are liking in the reviews? So you've got your actual drafting and your other subsidiary writing tasks. You've got finding readers and you've got engaging readers once you've got some. So that's the ticking it down to the bare bones. There really isn't much else. How can you engage with your readers once you've got them? Where are they? Are they on Facebook? Are they on some other platform? Are they willing to sign up to your newsletter? If you've got them there, then then treat them wonderfully. Give them stuff. Don't try to sell them stuff. Engage. Be positive. Be upbeat. Be uplifting. It is essentially sales copy of a kind because it is representing you. It is showing you hopefully at your best. It's kind of like an ongoing job interview that keeps going in that that respect that you want to come across. You want to shine in a positive way. You want uh, them to like you and um, you don't want to be the kind of person that you think, gosh, I hope I don't get trapped in a lift with him because all he does is whinge and whine and go on about the difficulties he's had with this, that and the other, or perhaps they moan about something or just go on endlessly about um, details that aren't particularly of interest to other people. You know, you know, the person who kind of, uh, we used to in the old days have holiday slides. Remember when people used to take loads of pictures and say, come around and see my holiday slides. <laughs> um, yeah, you might want to hear a funny story about that holiday, but you don't want to see pictures of the swimming pool. So what's engaging? What um, will spark interest? What little thing is kind of funny? What What makes you seem human? What makes you seem real? At the conference, something I... <laughs> I, I can turn it round into being a grateful thing, but I bought a, a new jacket because um, I like to sort of look smart at these things. And really, I should have just gone in um, in shorts and a T-shirt like all the comfortable looking people. But it was a lightweight jacket. It was linen and, and stuff. So a really nice uh, jacket. And um, I was uh, I saw Kevin Tomlinson, the legend of, of uh, indie uh, publishing and podcasting and uh, a representative at Drafter Digital and amongst any other things. And I believe he's now in the Writers Inc. podcast. And I thought, I really like Kevin. I, I'd, I'd like to go and say hello to him. And I used to listen to his Wordslinger podcast and watch it on YouTube. And I thought, I'm going to say, go and say hi. So I plucked up my courage um, and went over. And then... Um, Things that I'd put in my pocket, like various freebies and business cards and other, started to rattle out because the bottom of the pocket had fallen out and they started to fall onto the floor. And I was scrabbling about on the floor for um, for like biros and business cards and things. And I was just like, after that, I I, I didn't really have a very um, productive conversation. Kevin was very nice about it. He didn't make me feel silly or anything. But I probably would have had a nice chat with him, but I kind of thought, oh, OK, I've got my stuff and right, nice to meet you and uh, I'll go off now. And I went to go and grab a coffee in pret a -Manger. I was busy stuffing everything into the other pocket, the pocket that I believed at that point was going to work. And whilst I was at the counter paying for my drink, the other pocket gave way and all the things that I'd stuffed into the first pocket and the second pocket were now on the floor of uh, pret a -Manger while I was trying to pay for my coffee. And so I hurriedly gathered my stuff, grabbed my coffee and walked out without picking up the bottle of water that I just paid for. So <laughs> I went back later and, and told them and they said, oh, yes, we saw that. It's OK, fine. Take a bottle of water. But um, I just thought that was uh, <laughs> that was not really me showing myself at my best. But uh, in a way, I'm grateful for that funny story. Maybe you're laughing at that. Maybe you find that engaging. 
maybe I've got you <laughs> thinking, oh God, yes, yeah, similar things happen happened to me. Um, you know, we've all been there, I suppose. We've all sort of met uh, somebody we wanted to talk to or make a good impression on and promptly, uh, you know, had spinach in our teeth or spilled our drink down our front or something silly. You know, we, we all have these these things. So don't, don't be afraid to put these things out there. People say, well, what do I put in my newsletter? Well, what's a human little thing? What's what's a, what's a touch that that makes you seem like a human being? Um, have you just been for a trip out and somewhere and and something interesting happened? And did it make you think? If it made you think about something, maybe it'll make me think about something. If it made you laugh, maybe it'll make me laugh too. If it was sad or, or touching in some way, some ways maybe I'll I'll feel that as well. You know, maybe my my mirror neurons will fire up. Um, you know, we, we empathise with each other um, in quite an instinctive way. It's part of our evolutionary psychology that, that we do this. And um, yeah, it's it's being human and it's about sharing the little things. Not every single thing that you've done, because that would be boring, but I'm afraid, probably. <laughs> but uh, any little snippets, any little little things that have happened... That made you think, made you, made you think, made you feel, made you laugh, made you cry. Those are the kind of things that we like to hear about. They're the kind of things that we can empathise with. And sharing some little thing like that will make me remember you. And then sometime later, when I discover that you've finished a book, I think, oh, yeah, I, I really like that person. I, I'll at least give it a go. I'll give it a shot. I mean, it may not be for me, but I'll. I'll have a look. I'll I'll have go along to their page and maybe I'll read the preview and you know, I'll I'll take all that into account. So I don't think do these things in a mercenary way, but do them in a genuine way. Do them in, a, in as genuine way as you possibly can. I mean, I don't know if this is coming across, I hope it is, but I I want to encourage people. I do care about the writing community. I care about that deeply. Our books have always been incredibly special to me. Probably everybody I'm speaking to now was that kid who was you know, late for dinner because they wouldn't uh, stop reading or they were getting told off for reading under the covers or whatever, because that was kind of uh, that's the thing that we relished and the thing we really enjoyed every day. And uh, we're still doing it now many years later. We're probably reading every day and looking for new books and we probably have shelves full of second-hand books and we go out and buy new books and we love getting books for presents and so on. It never gets old. We never get tired of it. And uh, all that wonderful bookish stuff. I care about it deeply. I think you probably care about it deeply. Where would we be without writers putting one word after another in a combination that no one's perhaps done in quite that way before without taking a plot and putting a little twist on it and reimagining it and... Uh, giving us something that's got a beginning and a middle and an end and has wonderful characters in or perhaps is a life-changing piece of non-fiction that makes us sit up and appreciate, you know, something like Mark Recklau's books. Um, I'm going to go and look at his books, for, you know, as soon as I finish this, I'm going to go and just see what else he's got out there and have a have a look. Because, yeah, his talk was great, engaging, uplifting. I know. I feel like I know stuff about him now. He's been very supportive of me at a, at a personal level because he sponsored the um, SPF Foundation Place, which really kick-started my career with the mysteries, which is going to go on forever. And I'm, oh, it's a debt owed him for a long time. And that sparked something which for me is going to last decades until, until, uh, you know, I, <laughs> until they, they take the laptop from my cold dead hands. <laughs> <laughs> but you know in other words i just i'm not going to stop um you've got to keep going at things and um so i'm hoping all that i'm saying aligns i hope it all makes sense um have a think about it have a think about what will align for you about what you can do with what you already have and how you can build on what you already have and if there are pieces missing, if you have a, a leaky bucket somewhere in your process, then fix the bucket before you move on. You know, it's it's no good trying to put the roof on your house if the blueprints are all wrong or the foundations are crooked or, you know, <laughs> don't 
try to get ahead of yourself. How many priority tasks can you actually handle at a time when you're building up and working on your processes? I think one is really the best way to look at this because otherwise, is it really a priority? If there are two of them, are they both priorities? Shouldn't one, isn't priority thing you put first? Can you have two firsts? I think it actually literally means that's the thing you've got first. So at any one time, one priority, um, a few secondary tasks, which you can do when you've kind of had enough of writing for the day. Um, Are there some secondary things that need working on? And a few, again, a handful of maintenance tasks. So that's maybe stuff you've already got going that you might need to check or you might just check an ad you've set up or something. I would say that's a maintenance task. Just checking the things that you you kind of hope are okay, and are you going to look in on them once a day or once a week, something like that. Probably once a week is healthy for ads, otherwise you you drive yourself a bit mad with that. So a secondary task might be setting up a new ad, a maintenance task might be um, just checking the ones that have been going for a while and, and just seeing if they're going okay. And in amongst all that, don't forget that downtime that free time, I talked quite a bit about this earlier. You have to think about about your mental health and well-being. Now, if if uh, if creating videos and then responding to comments on those videos and looking at how many times it's been watched or shared or whatever or stitched or whatever they want to call it these days, if that is going to be the thing that takes away from your quiet time, that the time that you actually need to become a healthy person and a better, more productive rider. If you're spending that time instead on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or any of that kind of stuff, then I would question that. I really would. Because if you don't have those protected spaces for your brain to recover and sift through things, then you are not going to grow in the same way as a writer and as a creative and as a professional and as a decent human being who has uh, positive, productive relationships with others. Because we need time. We need time for family, friends, loved ones, pets. We need quiet times for ourselves. you might like meditation. That's that's a wonderful thing. There are loads of apps that are, that are quite good that you can use for that. Or maybe it's time when you can do like a yoga session or an exercise session where you just switch your brain off. For me, I find running better than... I have done yoga. I quite like yoga. It's, it's really great in lots and lots of ways. Great for strength and flexibility and all kinds of wonderful health and well-being benefits. But the sort of running is very simple. You go plod, plod, breathe, breathe, plod, plod, breathe, breathe. That's really all there is to it. One foot in front of the other. Breathe in, breathe out. There really isn't anything else. Um, whilst you're doing that, your brain will have a great time because it'll be getting lots of fresh blood flowing through it. It'll have lots of uh, wonderful oxygen going to it, which it needs a lot of. And uh, it will be there busily doing amazing stuff. And if you uh, and I, I'm lucky here, I could do it kind of, I'm in nature at the same time. You know, a walk in the woods or something is a wonderful thing to do. Not on your phone, but just looking at the trees, looking at the ferns, nodding in the breeze and so on. Just amazing stuff. Just so good for you. And it it's not, don't think of it as unproductive time because your brain is very busy. Your brain is very happy and it's getting on with stuff. It doesn't feel the need to tell you about everything it does. You know, later on, it will say, OK, there's this, by the way, I'll make you aware of this uh, when you're in the shower or cooking your dinner or something. It'll say, oh, oh, yeah, by the way, um, it, the butler did it or whatever. <laughs> it'll just solve your problems for you. It's amazing how it can do that. And again, there is science to back this stuff up. You know, consciousness does actually follow afterthought. And much as we think we're in control of our thoughts through consciousness, consciousness actually occurs afterwards. Um when our brain sees fit to let us know about some stuff that it's been dealing with. (laughs) Wonderful and complex thing. So post-conference stuff. Gratitude. Stop and think about what was great about it and what you really love, what you feel grateful for. Blast ideas down. 
leave them for a bit, come back to them, think about your processes, think about what you've already got and what you can build on, think about the pieces that are missing or the pieces that are, I don't want to say broken, but the things that aren't as, aren't what they should be, because we probably all know we've all got those things. Don't necessarily slavishly copy other people or jump on the latest social media platform just because of this, that and the other. Think about what you can do and think about it in terms of processes and really drafting and the other writing processes, finding readers, engaging with readers. I can't think of anything much more to it than that. How you go about those will be something that you have to make work for you. So I'm not going to tell you how you should be doing those things. That would be rather presumptuous of me. I think you will find those ways and you will make it work. Now, just looking at the timer and I have uh, run away with myself a bit because I'm so excited about this stuff and it is very, very long. So I'm sorry about that, <laughs> but um, I hope that there is something there to make you think as you deal with your post-conference blues. Uh, you can turn it into a post-conference celebration of you, your career, your potential, your skills, your knowledge. You probably know more than you realise already. You probably can do more than you realise. Who knows what you're going to do for the rest of today? Who knows what you're going to do tomorrow, the day after, the week after? I think it's going to be great. I uh, I think, again, coming back to Mark Recklau, saying, oh, I believe in you all. Yeah, I believe in you too. I, th I think you can do it because it can be done. And really, you don't need anything very fancy. You a, a pencil and a piece of paper will do it. If that's what you've got, you can make do with it. If Shakespeare could do it with a quill, I'm sure you can do it with uh, with a modern computer. <laughs> I think it'd be uh, considerably easier. But uh, make it work for you. Start where you are. Take a step. Take one after that. Learn. Develop. Go for it. So I will definitely sign off there. Thank you so much for listening. If you've listened all the way through, you're a wonderful person and you have my undying gratitude. <laughs> you're obviously incredibly patient and uh, I hope I haven't uh, talked the hind legs off a donkey for too long. So take care, look after yourselves and keep tapping the keys and uh, keep putting the words down. And while you're doing it, keep smiling. Thank you very much and bye for now.